the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. It is a couple minutes after 4. Listen to the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Perhaps on AM 560. Perhaps on, you know, the website, WFIL.com, maybe on the app on your phone or your iPad, that kind of thing. Wherever and however, we're glad to have you. Forecast the rest of the afternoon. Uh, Some sunshine, some clouds moving in gradually. Don't be shocked if you see a shower or a thundershower. 94 the high, a little toasty. Kind of cloudy tonight, a little more rain possible, low 72. Then tomorrow on the cloudy side, sun at times, another shower, thunder shower possible. 93, peaking ahead to Saturday, looks to be cooler, high around 82. But Saturday, lots of clouds and lots of rain expected, at least a threat of it throughout the day and evening. Phillies won last night 3-2. That's two out of two so far with the Washington Nationals. However, there won't be a three out of three just yet because they have... Uh, decided to postpone the game tonight. There have been a number of pro sports teams and leagues, many of them, who have decided to do various and sundry things in terms of the conversation going on in our country about racial injustice and different scenarios that have been happening in recent weeks and months. And I guess it's Jacob Blake. Most recently, that conversation has sparked a lot of extra conversation. So uh, there you have it. Phil's are not playing tonight. And, uh, they were supposed to play at 6.30, but we'll see. We'll see how it all goes along those lines. Lots to pray about in our country. And uh, I, I still think personally, I wasn't planning to talk about this much, but I'll just toss this out that one thing you can do is love the person in front of you. So yeah, I, I actually you know, think it's kind of hard to think you're going to stop everything. I think it's great there's a lot of conversation and maybe more than ever. And um and hopefully some good things will continue to come and, and will happen. But one thing any of us can control is the life that God gives us and who we have right in front of us, whether it's being kind to others regardless of their skin color or perhaps – I was just thinking about this today driving into work. You realize that in a given day, if you're driving somewhere, you know, ask yourself, how many people do you interact with on the road? You know, maybe, maybe you have two or three or five or seven, eight, ten times – over the course of the day where maybe a lot more where you have a choice to speed up and maybe cut somebody off a little bit, which is what happened to me going through the turnpike toll. I was actually slightly ahead of somebody, but I kind of sensed that they're running up the side and I thought, I don't need to gun it. It's really makes no difference at all. And this person made sure they were ahead of me. Okay, go ahead. And, uh, and then I followed behind them uh, versus just letting somebody go. And the power to not be underestimated of uh, being a peacemaker 
and maybe sending someone on their way and taking the edge off of their day. And when you think about it, you can do that a lot of times in the course of a day, just on that one topic. So uh, I tend to think about the power of one and what I can do, regardless of who's the president, who's the governor, who's the whatever, still have a lot of freedom in this life to follow my true king. And uh, so I encourage you to do the same and, and have hope and feel that sense of, you know, I can honor God. I can love my neighbor just as well as uh, I did yesterday and tomorrow. I can I can do those things. And don't underestimate how you can perhaps send the trajectory of somebody else's day in the right direction just by being faithful in the small thing. Could be at the supermarket, not cutting in front of somebody or whatever it might be. So by God's grace, we do these things. And I think that's how a lot of change in our world will happen. The more that each of us takes individual responsibility and practices, not in a fuzzy, touchy-feely way, but just practices obedience to God, including, you know, loving your neighbor, being kind. That covers a lot of ground. Our uh, program today, I'm very glad to have special guests. You know, every day we do a different kind of thing, and sometimes we have more of a longer conversation. And today is one of those days. You'll remember uh, a month or so ago, we were giving away a book with our rewards club called Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. It's a personal testimony by T.J. Stevens, and uh, he's kind enough to join us on the program. How you doing, T.J.? Doing great, Tim. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We uh, recently uh, were talking about on the air, actually, the book Once a Shooter that you wrote, Redemption of a High School Gunman. It was a giveaway uh, on the air this past summer, and um, yeah, and it, it's a lot to talk about, a lot to share, and I'm glad that you're willing to, to hop on board. I know when we talked about it initially on the air in terms of a giveaway and, and just promoting it, the book, we talked about how you um, had not wanted to share the story. It's kind of the first time, and even though the incident uh, was 40 years ago or so, but that you really felt compelled to share and um, how you were pardoned not once but twice, first by God and then in the judicial system. So how do you feel most comfortable un- unpacking your story? So today's society, we see way too many shootings in our country. Um, And whether it's in a school or an airport or anywhere in our country, we see this time and time again. Um, And there is a common thread here. And the common thread is sin. And in my life, I chose death because of my sin. So for far too long, we treat the symptoms and not the real disease. And I think if we can redirect people, as a man thinketh, so is he. We need to give them a change of heart, not another law, because laws don't change a man's heart, but Christ can. In my situation, I was in a domestic abuse situation, and again, I'm not blaming what I did on the domestic abuse, because a lot of people are abused and don't do the heinous act of what I did. But there was this constant mountain, if you will, within a seven-mile deep ocean that started to grow. And one day, on November 10th, 1982, I was pretty much at death's door looking at myself, just disgusted with who I was, what I was, and just hated the world, hated myself. Uh, Just that self-loathing cry out, being the victim all the time, you know, that kind of crybaby mentality that I needed someone to step in and really tough love me, to really discipline me 
to get me back on track. But I went astray and went to suicide. So the school part of the entire story that's in the book wasn't even uh, a thought or an, an idea. Uh, it was all about death and my death, a coward's death. But God loves cowards, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in my bedroom one o'clock in the morning with a gun in my mouth on November 10th by myself. No one knew what was going on. At what age? I was 18. Okay. Yeah. And I uh, wrote the suicide note. You know, this happens 137 times a day um, in our country today. Way too much. And since the pandemic hit, it has almost doubled it with teenagers. So this is a real and present danger, a real pandemic that no one ever talks about. And I had a void within me that I was filling with flesh, filling with things of the world. And I finally got to that conclusion that I just didn't want to live anymore. So during the process with the gun in my mouth and pressure on the trigger, I heard within myself, within my presence, a voice. And um, a lot of your listeners going, oh, here we go again with the voices. <laughs> no, well, let me tell you something. Yeah. When you open that door to the darkness and you've conceded to death, trust me, there is a power within this world that will gladly use you if you let it. Hmm. And I'm saying it gave me suggestions. It didn't demand. It didn't control me. It gave me suggestions to find a better way, a better way to find that peace I was looking for. But it was pure evil in the thought process. So from that one o'clock in the morning to the 10 o'clock that morning, I was already dead. I had mentally pushed that trigger and I conceded to this evil side and these thoughts of revenge and hurt and wanting to just go out with, I'll show them, you know, a real childish way, but very dangerous way. So when I walked in that school at 10 a.m. the next morning, I was no expression on my face. I just walked in there and started shooting. And obviously, not one bullet hit one person, but that's not because of me. That's because there was another force that was with me. Yeah. And so when I went into the, to the office, smashed out windows, took a big chunk of meat out of my hand, so blood was going everywhere, but it was my blood, and started shooting in there. It was just 30 minutes of just pure rage. That's the most dangerous time of these shootings. And um, finally, midnight the first day, because it's over a two-day ordeal, I put the gun in my mouth because I could no longer take that voice that became many voices telling me we had a deal. You need to do this now. And I had nine hostages in the room. And I said, no, you can't hurt these people. I'm, I'm going to take my own life. And some people would call that psychosis, psychotic, whatever you want to call it. But at the bottom of those situations, there is a spiritual battle taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let me, so let I put me... the gun in my mouth right in front of the front let... of... Go ahead. Let me jump in here for a second if I can. Just uh, folks tuning in, uh, T.J. Stevens is our guest. The book we're talking about, Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. You open, to clarify, the first chapter in the book, you tell, in a, in a fairly condensed, although with a good amount of details, what happened, what you kind of talked about, the, the 1 a.m., thinking about taking your life, and then that turning into going to school later on that morning, and the events of that day, kind of the, kind of the guts of what happened. And later on in the book, chapter five, I think it is, you go into explaining some of the backstory, not to excuse anything at all, but to say, here's some of the stuff that I went through, including a lot of abuse. And it's, it's really ha- having a, having a stepfather on a, on the police force who's, you know, beating your mom. Like there's all kinds of really heavy stuff that, and, and that a couple times, I think at one point you said, um, 
that the suicidal thoughts for you started as a youth as a way of maybe having some kind of like taking some kind of control over your life instead of feeling powerless to watch what was happening with your stepfather and your mom and your and your siblings and to put an end to the actual abuse itself. So kind of that is a quick, quick summary of a backstory in chapter five that people do eventually get to read if they, you know, read once a shooter. Um, you go back to now to, to where we are now because um, initially you were just trying to take yourself out. And when you went to the school, one thing I wasn't clear about uh, to, just to get back to where you were a second ago, when you went to the, in the door uh, that day, Lake Braddock Secondary School in Virginia, were you going in to – you felt like you're not, you're not going to come out, but were you necessarily trying to take other people out with you? That, that's the, that was the voice saying in your head in the one in the morning, you can do more than just you. You can actually make this bigger. Had you gone in with that intention? Yes, I did. And it was why. Why would you go there and hurt children? Why wouldn't you just go hurt the stepfather? And the answer is, I wanted him to suffer. I wanted him to feel the pain and live it out like he made me live out that pain. Mm. And again, this is the most cowardice choice a human could ever make, to hurt others to try to prove a point or to hurt an individual. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I'm almost 60 years old now, and that was when I was 18 years old. So I see this with a whole different perspective of trying to reach those kids before they go to the school, before they get to that point of wanting to hurt someone else or a revenge situation or crying out for help situation or a mental situation, if you will. Yeah. But in all situations, if they could see the directive of the choice that they're making and see what God intends for them, opposed to what you intend for you, which is for me was death. I chose death. And so to answer your question, it's a, it's, it's a very hard one to answer, but yes, to hurt others. It was kind of like, like a cutter mentality, like hurting yourself to give you a mental release, if you will, of rage. So I would have to say, even in that process on the first night when I had the gun back in my mouth, the pivoting point of the entire story is when a lady fell to her knees and she cried out when the gun was in my mouth. They knew I was going to kill myself in front of them. And this hostage fell to her knees. She was a guidance counselor. And she put her hands over her face and she cried out, no, don't do this. You're just a kid. You haven't hurt anybody. You don't know what you're doing. And she's crying out for my life. Well, she has no clue the battle that I'm dealing with within myself. Yeah. And I jerked over, pulled the gun out of my mouth, and I said, get out now because... As she was crying, there was a cross swinging from her neck, a necklace, and it pierced my right eye. And it met me. It confronted who I was, confronted the sin within me, confronted the very flesh, the very fiber of who I became. And it was probably what saved my life because that evil within me had to deal with this. T.J. Stevens is our guest. The book is called Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. We'll take a brief break and keep our conversation going. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL.com and the WFIL app. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560, WFIL and at WFIL.com. AM560, WFIL.com on the app. Listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for hanging out. 20 after 4. Uh, so we're chatting with T.J. Stevens, author of the book Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. 
Uh, when you walked into school that day, you didn't have a plan. You just walked in, started shooting, hitting windows and doors, and people started screaming. And in the book, when you mentioned the shooting, you say, I, I wasn't shooting into the crowd. I was actually shooting at the ceilings that you thought maybe the bullets would have ricocheted and hurt somebody, but they actually miraculously didn't hit, hurt anybody. And then eventually you end up in the office with the nine hostages, including the guidance counselor who you mentioned uh, before the break, who had a cross around her neck. And um, so I guess I say that all to set it up. I like the context. What was the timeline between when you walked into the school, uh, started shooting at the ceilings and the windows, and then holding uh, those hostages in the office? The whole process up to the point of busting out the windows and coming in and shooting in the office was about 30 minutes into the process. Okay. And then the, you know, SWAT team and all the police came out. And my end result was the coward's way out, suicide by cop or, or to be killed or, you know, my death was irrelevant at that point. You know what I'm saying? It was just pure evil. And how do we conquer darkness? We conquer it with light. And by the grace of God, when that cross confronted me, that was the point that the light, I call it an angelic figure, reached into my darkness up to his elbow and had a white robe on it. It reached out for me. And um, I reached up and touched this hand, this angelic hand, and it just made everything go away. All the rage, all the anger, it revealed in my eyes. I could see the people for people opposed to victims. Uh, I could see their and feel their families of what they were going through. It's like I became human again, instantaneously. Mm -hmm. There were no verses spoken. There was no church song sung. It was just a moment in time that God came at the very moment of my death that I was impending on myself and saw something in me and didn't give up on me. And from that moment on till the next morning on November 11th, 1982, for every hour, I was letting two people go, one person go for a pizza, ice cream, coffee, anything I could come up with an excuse to let them go. Hmm. Because I, my whole demeanor had changed. I was a different person through that process. And at the end of it, one of the hostages looked at me, the last one to let go. And she said, I know what you're doing. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, you're going to do suicide by cop. I looked at her and I said, I deserve death. But I found the peace I'm looking for. I'm talking about what just happened a couple hours ago. It's okay now. And she's like, no, I'm not leaving you here. Now, this is another individual, another faculty member. Let me tell you, our school staff, these school teachers love their children. <laughs> mm. I mean, they see, they see in us what we can never see in ourselves. And she believed there was still hope in me, and she would not leave me. And finally, about an hour later, because I had lost so much blood, I was going to pass out right in front of her. I said, okay, let's go. And she wrapped her arms around me, and I've got the, the gun in my left hand. And we get up to the door, and the SWAT team leaders to throw the weapon out. And I turned the weapon away from the police, so if it misfired, because there was a, like a firing squad. So if it misfired, so what that means to me is that now I'm concerned about the police being hurt. Right. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to see the transformation from this evildoer, this pathetic coward, to now this knowing, loathing individual who knows what he is and is thankful for what came to him and now has found that peace that he never had. And that's another pivoting point in the book. And what happens next is just miracle after miracle after miracle for someone who did not deserve it, received the grace of Jesus Christ in his life. And now being almost six years old, I can tell you my life 
has been one of of blessings after blessings after blessings. And in the book, you can actually see these things. And if God's willing to do that for this lost kid, he's willing to do it for you. And he loves you just that much, even in your darkness, even in your sin. He still loves you and follows you and is with you and waiting for you to open that door. So my book is a book of hope for the lost, a book of uh, directives to a young child who has no way out to show them there is a way out. And I'm a big advocate putting prayer back in our schools, a big advocate for mentorships to help these kids, the red flag kids, I call them, that need a little bit extra attention from a father figure, if you will, in a school, because these kids don't have fathers and they need discipline. They need direction. They need that guidance in their life. And my goal is if I can reach one child to change his mind, to see what God intends for his life and all the blessings he's given me throughout the book and beyond, uh, if he can see that choice, what God has intended, opposed to the choice he's about to make and the families that he's about to destroy, and what Satan wants to do is destroy everyone around. The ripple effect of one child dying in a school is an enormous. It's not just the children dying in our schools. The families are dying around them. So my goal is to reach this kid before he does it, to find him, to reach him, to redirect him, give him a new hope, a new light, so he can see what God wants for him in his life, because he did the same thing for me. And it actually says in the Word, we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of our testimonies, how powerful our testimonies are. If we're ashamed to tell it, that day will come, because I ran for mine for many, 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 many years and changed my name five times. But until I confronted who and where I came from and revealed what God did in my life, my life never began. The Lord said, Jesus said, those who keep their life shall lose it, but those who lose their life for my name's sake shall find it. I can tell you that verse that Jesus spoke is the most real, tangent, physical reality in my life that I've ever experienced. And the first time I told my testimony was in a small, small church in 2011. And I remember vomiting in the bathroom before I went out and spoke because I'm not a speaker. And I was so scared. But I knew at that point, God revealed me, this isn't about you, TJ. This is about them. This is about the lost kids and the lost, the parents that are hurting. This is about so many people that you don't even see yet. So I knew at that time I had to give back the life that he gave me in 1982 when I walked out of school alive. Yeah. You know, how important it was to do that. So in the book, it reveals all these things. And it's so important. If I could place a book in a troubled teen's hands, 137 children's going to take their life today. If I could hand out 137 books, how great it would be to let them see the revelation of what God intends for them, opposed to a depression, bullying situation, a loneliness and abuse so on and so forth. But that's real important to me. I have a passion for lost children. TJ Stevens is our guest, author of Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. We'll take a brief break. Keep our conversation rolling here. Listen to the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL.com and on the app. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. 4.30 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Mix the clouds and sun, the balance of the afternoon. Getting a little cloudier as things roll along. Make it a shower, thunder shower this afternoon or evening. 94 the high, down to 72 tonight. Tomorrow on the cloudy side, some sun at times. A couple showers possible, high 93. 
Phillies won yesterday 3-2. They're taking the night off, postponing their game. Uh, some of the pro sports teams are doing that as a, a, a you know, solidarity in terms of racial injustice. And just as they're talking through and having lots of discussions, I was actually on a Zoom call earlier today with Carson Wentz and uh, Jalen Mills of the Eagles. And they were talking about some of the things the team is talking about and just how they're trying to take these things seriously. So and uh, that's what's happening as far as tonight goes. And I'm guessing there'll be more of those sorts of things going on in the days to come. Uh, in the meantime, and their season opener is the 13th of September. Uh, for what that's worth, in Washington that day. So we continue our conversation. Um, TJ Stevens is our guest. The book we're talking about is Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. Uh, if you're just joining us partway through, there's a lot going on and a lot to keep up with. So you can listen to the podcast after the program in case you're running behind and, and not sure what's exactly what's going on. But um, in Chapter 3, TJ, you talk about the importance of the spiritual and that people reached into that part of your life. Uh, you had not asked for them to do that, but you wrote on page 54, it's the most real thing that ever happened to me. The reason I didn't follow through in all the voices in my head that were that they were begging me to do. I was still responsible for everything. I'm just saying I wasn't alone. Then the next page you wrote, the spiritual part of my life was so real and so broken, I didn't even realize it. It set me on fire. But when someone interacted with this part of me, the flames immediately subsided. The spiritual was the place where everything changed for me. So at this point, you have not converted and become a believer in the story, but uh, speak to the spiritual side of things, if you will. What we give focus to, we give strength to in our lives. And that's so true. It begins with the family at home, whether it's the movies we watch, the music we listen to, anything we give focus to, the children are watching. Your kids are watching. And as a parent, we have such a huge responsibility to present yourselves as respectful to a higher power. Even if they don't dwell into it at an early age, they see that love you have for God. And that's so important as a parent. Um, the day inside prison, I was facing 144 years. And I told them I wanted death. I was in that you know self-deprecation mode when I first got in jail. Uh, I just wanted death. I said, save the taxpayers' money and just take me out, you know. And I attempted suicide three or four times before that day. Like you said, it was a control thing. It was more of a, a dancing with death. I remember throwing a, a rope over a tree and putting it around my neck and standing on a chair and just playing with the chair under my feet. Um, it was taunting. There was a lot, a lot of pain going on during this process. But the conversion part, when I'm in prison and I'm sitting there, knowing I shouldn't be alive, knowing I'm going to be in prison for the next uh, at least 26-plus years. And maximum security, Mecklenburg, prison was built in the 1800s. I think they tore it down since then, rebuilt a new one. But I was in the cell 23 hours a day and out one hour into a cage so I could see the sky kind of thing. Yeah. And um, one night I got on my knees after lights out and very quietly so the guards couldn't hear because you can actually be disciplined for getting out of your bunk at a certain time. And I got down on my knees and put a pillow in my face and basically screamed and vomited my sins into this pillow for over an hour. I mean, vomited everything that I was, everything that I had done, repented for just half for my flesh and how I followed my flesh and how my anger towards individuals and everything. I no longer was blaming others. I was looking at myself and revealing to God, I am done with me. I want you to take me. You created me. 
I am your child. The only reason I'm alive today is because you intervened and saved me. You take my life. Show the world what you can do with it because I showed the world what I can do with it, and I deserve death. So it's yours. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I'm done with TJ. And my only vision, Jim, was that I could become a trustee to deliver Bibles inside the prison. That was my big hope. The only thing I could see in my future was to hope to be that. But in Jeremiah 20 and 11, it talks about the path that he has for us that we can't even see for ourselves. And within six months, the uh, warden got a guard and, and had me brought down to his office. And the warden said to me, do you believe in God? And I said, yes, I do. Standing firm now as a new Christian, as a new believer, he said, you must because you're getting out in another six months. And this is two and a half years into my sentence. And I, I thought he was taunting me. I thought he was, you know, just kind of playing with me kind of thing. And come to find out, it was a program in Fairfax County called the Alternative Sentencing Program. And they were looking for youth offenders or offenders at a teenage age that committed a heinous crime without hurting anyone to be able to go through a rehabilitation process without serving time, but serving it in a different manner. So it was about a year later is when I was released from a road camp out in uh, Haymarket Camp 26, Haymarket, Virginia. And uh, I went to this program, and they was very heavily monitored. And here I am now working with children. They were Down syndrome children. And I'm teaching them to play guitar. And in that process of teaching them to play guitar, I was helping them. And you know, if you've ever worked with Down syndrome kids, they are the biggest blessing you could ever experience in your life. Uh. And uh, I remember setting up a talent show and all the parents came and they couldn't even remember three chords. So how's this going to happen? And I'm doing one finger chords for them and, you know, everything I can do. So I'm having three people play their chords at the right time. But to see the joy in the parents' face, to give back to society, it healed me in the process of becoming somebody to care for others. And that process through the alternative sentencing program helped me even to this day. Now I'm doing major, I own a promotion company, and I do major Christian concerts across the East Coast. And kids from four different states come in, and watching them praise God together by the thousands, and seeing them as they come forth to give their hearts to Christ. Mike Weaver, I asked, I said, Mike, I said, please, from Big Daddy Weave, yeah. can you do imitation? He said, absolutely, brother. And he did the imitation. And as the, uh, 100 kids were coming forward, the Lord spoke to my heart. And, and I mean this in a very personal way. He spoke to my heart because I had asked for almost 35 years, I said, Lord, why did you let me live? At that moment, the Lord spoke to me as the kids were coming forward. He said, this is why I let you live. And I've never forgotten that. And I will continue to seek kids who are lost and give them new hope and new direction. It's amazing. In 82, I went to a school to take their lives. Now I'm spending the rest of my life to try to find and save them for eternity. TJ Stevens is our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com and on the app. That's where you can find us and listen in. You can also grab the podcast after our program on our homepage at WFIL.com. We'll take a quick break, come back and continue our conversation. The book we're chatting about and the story, really, Once a Shooter, Redemption 
of a high school gunman. Again, TJ Stevens, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show today. Thanks for listening in WFIL. Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's 441 of the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in today on WFIL. Our guest, TJ Stevens, author of Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. There is a lot to unpack in your story, but I wanted to ask you, you know, sometimes people relate to each other through similar struggles, but you're at a fairly small club. I don't know what you call it, but not a lot of people can re- relate and understand uh, what you've been through. Has writing this book, Once a Shooter, helped uh, people in your inner circle and beyond, you know, people who know you, who, casual acquaintance, whatever it might be, and even family and all that, uh, understand you better so that there is that connection? And, and how can people pray for you in general just to help build that bridge so you feel more and more affirmed in your choice uh, to live your life for the Lord? You know, we relate our lives a lot with the, the, the biblical stories within the Bible and through the different disciples. We relate a lot of things that happen to us through those through those individuals, and I believe that's God. God wanted to reveal that in us through the through the stories and the parables, through Jonah when he ran, he ran from God, and um, he said, "Throw me overboard, so you'll you'll all be saved." I mean, he was like uh, God. God didn't didn't stop either. He, he even followed him and put him inside the way to reach him. And so, my situation was a matter of shame, selfishness. So I had become this new identity in the world to run from who I was, right? But this continued light followed me in that process. And I found myself, when Columbine happened, you asked that question, I was screaming at the television. I remember this vividly, screaming at the talking heads on the news agency. And I'm screaming out, you guys have no clue what you're talking about. The answer is Jesus, period. And I'm saying to myself, okay, now, big boy, now you've said the, you finally came out and screamed at the TV, but when are you going to tell somebody about it? Mm. <laughs> you know, when are you going to confront with yourself and tell someone about some? It was like God was sharpening. He was, everybody's a work in progress, right? And God was preparing me for this. And I was like, okay, I own this company and that company. I'm, I'm going to lose clients. I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose this. My children are going to be ashamed. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Whoa, now I'm making it about myself. But once I made it about Jesus and talked with my children, talked with my family, and, and I mean, for three years, we had this discussion of this may be happening because I felt God talking to my heart that one day this will happen. And some of my family members said no, and some of them said, yes, praise God, this is what you were called to do. This meaning put, so, this, put, it, put it down in, in writing, sharing the story. Yeah, and the whole writing thing was never a book. The whole writing thing began as uh, okay in 2011 when I when I was I was counseling myself. It's the first time I really confronted what I had done, and I remember typing out my thoughts on a computer, and I remember crying on the keyboard because this is the first time I really confronted who I, I I've been running for myself for so many years, thirty plus years at that time. And I remember just tears falling down as I'm typing these words uh, of the transcript of this book. And I knew it was like, this is the direction you must go. You know, that calling you feel within you. And 
as I did it, it was never a book. It was never anything. It was more counseling to myself. You know what I mean? Confronting of where I came from and how God was going to use me to move forward. And in 2011, that's when I started the concerts. Again, nobody knew who I was. Uh, There was a few things in Nashville I had done um, with military bases and was on their news agency there. No one knew who I was. But God did. You know, he, he was always there. He was, I can tell you, even through the process of me being ashamed of myself, God was never ashamed of me. You know, mm. and and the day that I came to the church and gave the testimony the first time, uh, my legs were shaking, my hands were shaking, everything was shaking. And when I gave the testimony, you could have heard a pin drop because I'm not a speaker and I was relying on the Holy Spirit and he spoke through me and people were grabbing their phones and, and looking up to see, is this true? Is this real? <laughs> and sure and sure enough, yeah. as they, their mouths fell to the floor and they looked back up at me like this guy's in your church you know like like now we're at the carnal nation of you trust this guy to be in this church yeah you know what i mean yeah but but it was that's what my that's what my heart was seeing but then after the service the people came up to me and said tj we never knew we knew there was something special about you but we never knew it was like this this love of, of embracing. And through the process, I've, I've spoken at uh, police conventions, SWAT team training missions. I've spoken at uh, schools, uh, troubled teens groups. I mean, on and on and on and on. And, and during this process, I've seen a transformation as people watch and listen to give them new hope in their life, in their struggle. Because it's not about TJ. It's about what God can do through that individual who's hurting. I even wrote that in my book about why I wrote this book. Why, why now? Because these kids are dying all across our country today. They're losing hope. They're losing direction. Their mentorship and leadership is no more. And the real leader that we need to look to is God. We need to look to him for the answers. And so in that process, um, I would say that if any Man being Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. I, I am a living testimony to those verses, the verses that Paul wrote, the verses of Timothy. I mean, just on and on, Philippians, and I know Paul wrote that. Too. But the Bible is so real to me now, where other people just throw it on the shelf and dust collects. But this Word of God is the most powerful weapon on the planet Earth. And if we would just utilize it, if we would just tap into it, it's like our brains. We only use 10% of it. There's 90% we're not using. If we would look at that Bible and say, I want to know more, because the more we seek God, the more he will seek us in the process. And he will reveal to us in the Word of God so many things that, that we didn't even know ourselves. Opposed to hearing from others and watching others, we need to seek the truth for ourselves. And... I believe the truth in in my life, it does set you free. T.J. Stevens, our guest, Once a Shooter is the book, Redemption of a High School Gunman. We're talking about the book and, of course, really talking about the story behind the book. Uh, We have one final quick break to take. We'll come back and wrap up our conversation with T.J. Stevens here, listening to Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL? Email Timmy 
D at WFIL.com. It's 452. TJ Stevens, our guest, the book Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. You bring up in the book that you don't remember a lot of what was said in Bible study in the detention center, except there is a God that he loves you and that you deserve the punishment that was coming. But most people don't think they deserve punishment and the whole idea of amazing grace, more like decent grace or okay grace, or I almost don't even need that grace, or just the idea that amazing grace doesn't have to always be so amazing. For someone who has been through what you have been through, speak to how much we really, really need, uh, you know, really need our Savior. Praise God for your question. You know, the old saying is there's no atheists in foxholes. Well, I was in the foxhole. And... I believe that I was seeking answers of why I'm alive now when I was in the detention center. Even though I had no life now, my life was over, 144 years in prison. Um, Here I am going to this Bible study. And yes, it got me out of the cell. And yes, there's a lot of jailhouse religion to prove to parole officers and things of that nature. People use it as this play tool to get out of jail, free card kind of thing. In my situation, there was no get out of jail free. There was... There was nothing but um, I'm alive, and I have some sort of peace within me. I don't know what it is, but I'm alive, and now I want to know where this peace came from. So here I am at this Bible study, and uh, he's quoting Scripture and telling me about this love, this unconditional love for me, and how important the prison ministry is in our, in our society is very important. Because some of these people will never see daylight again. But they, they still are human. They still have hope through Christ. And, and so that's what I was seeking was that hope. Where did it come from? Why did he love me? You know, just all kinds of questions were, were boiling up in me. And I think, I really believe, believe that was the Holy Spirit uh, starting that piece of metal before it became a sword. He was starting that rough, raw metal of what was within me to sharpen it through the years and all the way up to the point of to today, you know, almost 40 years later, he's given me a sword. When I turn it left to right, I look at it, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of joy, a lot of love, and I use it now for the battles that I have in my life. And when I see someone hurting, I want to give them the same directive that I was giving and show them the love Christ has in, in their life. And they, if they roll the rise of the name Jesus or anything to do with God, I say, wait a minute, okay, I'm not going to preach to you. I'm just going to reveal to you my life, which is undeniable, okay? Yeah. There's, you want to call the Bible this, but the fact is, let me show you the facts, and then reveal them to them my personal testimony, and so they cannot take account of that and go, well, you were lucky here, you were lucky there. You No. Yeah, yeah. finally look at what it truly is. I could see you how know, people and, would, would, would pick off different, you know, things that just kind of jump off to them, you know, yeah. the, the sto- parts of the story that matter but aren't necessarily core to what, what the whole point is. And you, you, again, what happened that day, November 10, 1982, matters, but there's a lot of other stuff that comes from that and all lots of other storylines that are really matter a lot, even more. Exactly. And the same love when they when they hate me, when when the haters come in, God has prepared me for this for a long time, Tim. When the haters come in, those are the very people that God wants me to, to reach. Yeah. 
those are the ones that's going to spend eternity in hell. And if I can just speak to them about my life, not preach to them, but speak to them through what God has done for me, um, through that and the blood of the Lamb, they will overcome, and they will be transformed, and they will have a life of abundance and see how God can change their life. I mean, there's a purpose in everyone's life. Do, whether we choose it or not, it's totally up to us through free will. So I would say, you know, God, lead me. Every day I say this when I get up in the morning. Lead me. Lead me to who you want me to talk to. Divine appointments that he sets before me are so important in my life. No matter how minuscule, whether it's a, a homeless person on the street or some executive of a huge company, my hand reaches up and touches their shoulder and say, I'm going to tell you about a love that you've never known. Mm. And if you've ever known it, you need to re-know it now. Because uh, their life is precious, just like mine was to God. Their life is precious to Him. And uh, until they find that, until they fill it with the correct substance, the correct faith, until they fill it with that opposed to the world and politics and, and, and flesh and all, all these things, they think the answer is in the world. It's not. Because worldly people look for worldly answers, and godly people look for godly answers. My goal is to take the worldly people looking for worldly answers and show them the godly answer that fulfills that life to take it to the next level that God intends for them. Amen. Amen. Great words. TJ, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, thank you for carving out time to to shed some light on the book and also just to, to share from the heart. That's uh, very evident in our conversation today. Praise God, Tim. Thank you so much for having me, and, and I just want to say thank you to your listeners as well. God bless you, man. You too. TJ Stevens, our guest today, Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman, the book, podcast, and our homepage soon at WFIL.com. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Tim DeMoss Show. Tell a friend if you want about the program. We do appreciate your prayers as well. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com